to let your voice be heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. The science is clear. Nine out of the ten hottest years ever came in the last decade. Now, I'm not a scientist, but I do know how to count to ten. Rising seas, more violent storms. You got mosquitoes, sweaty people on the train, stinking it up. It's just nasty. I mean, look at us what... Look at what's happening right now. Every serious scientist says we need to act. The Pentagon says it's a national security risk. Miami floods on a sunny day, and instead of doing anything about it, we've got elected officials throwing snowballs in the Senate. Okay, okay, Mr. Okay, I, I think they got it, bro. I, it is crazy. <laughs> what about our kids? What kind of stupid, short-sighted, irresponsible bull? Whoa, 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 hey! What? what? Okay, no, hey! And we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you are wondering what you were just listening to, it is an interlude from Barack J. Kwan Hussein Obama's mixtape. It's called Dirty Leaks, Bombers, Trips, Streets. And it's coming out next week. Just kidding. It is from the White House Correspondence Center. And there's Barack Obama up there on the stage with Keel. Um, and Key and Peel, a show that comes on Comedy Central, they have this, um, this bit they do where they have um, Peel play Barack Obama and then Keel will be like his angry interpreter. So... Um, Peel will talk like regular Barack Obama and then Key will like say it the way that we think Obama's black aggressive side would say it. So Obama brought out Key to do that aggressive side and apparently Obama had too much Hennessy before he got on stage and he lost his cool and started calling people stupid about climate change because well they are stupid about climate change. The best line was about we have senators throwing snowballs on. that was the best. Like, yeah. well, he's like what kind of stupid irrational short sighted yep. Is this? I'm this. telling you, I don't want Obama to start flexing. You're gonna have a whole bunch of white people running. <laughs> you know, he's on. He's already on his bucket list. No, oh. you know about that? He's, he, no, he warned them. He climate, was like, climate change action bucket. Yeah. He was like, hold on to your white lily butts. Mm-hmm. Remember when he first came out? It was hilarious. Right. So I'm expecting Fox News to say that Barack Obama is going at the white people one by one. I can't one. wait till next year. His last correspondence. Oh, it's gonna get even end. better. He's, he's not even gonna, gonna show out. up. <laughs> 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 If, if I was him, I would show up with a mimosa and be like, what up? <laughs> I'm out of here. I got to get unemployment for the next six months. And I'm then not he doing can nothing. do that line again about how he won both elections. Yep. Oh, yeah. He's like, I know because I won them both. That's right. Get them. So even though these two in here are loving Barack Obama, we all know that I am anti-having rights and especially women's rights. I'm not for that. So I cannot support Barack Obama. <laughs> and we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard. And the reason I played that clip... One, because Alyssa told me to play it. And two, because we are currently facing a drought in California. And it completely resonates with what the president is talking about at at that correspondence dinner. We have a serious climate issue. And because of that, California is having its worst drought since 1895. Mm. You heard that right. 1895. Now, a couple things you should know about California's water drought. It is so bad that they are being forced to ration the water by 25%. Everyone except except for farms, that is. Also, certain parts of California are naturally dry. So what happens is they get their water from the north and they funnel it through everything else. And they have a really intricate, complicated, stupid, ridiculous 
water system that has needed to be fixed since it was first made. And everyone has known this, but has done nothing about it. People are complaining about almond milk and Maguda water and Gouda cheese and saying that's the reason that we're having this drought. But the reason being is because the temperature is hotter for longer. So mountaintops, which would make up for the lack of rain that California got, are only at 6% levels. So that means if at 100% they had 500 gallons, they're at 6%, they only have 5 gallons. So it's not helping to make up the difference from the rain. What does that mean for us? Well, if this drought continues, it could bring up the cost of food because 50% of our vegetables and fruits growth comes from California farms. And if they cannot grow as easily because they don't have water, that's going to make it more expensive to farm, which means it's going to be more expensive to purchase and ship to New York. And it means that mango that I got for a dollar this morning is going to cost me $7. And since I don't have that kind of money, I got to start rapping again. And since we know I can't rap that well because I didn't get signed to Bad Boy Records, I can't eat mango or kale anymore. Aww. And if we're talking about people who are not bougie and losers like me and they just want food because they like to eat and feed their families and get them vegetables well the price of food goes up if you are on a fixed income and you were spending two dollars on apples and let's say cabbage and carrots on thursday and on monday those same things cost fifteen dollars and you have to cut them out of your diet that more than likely means you're going to have an unhealthier diet because you're going to have to go towards the cheaper foods the canned vegetables which have no nutrients whatsoever the processed foods which have no nutrients whatsoever and really shouldn't be called foods and that will make you unhealthier overall so you know that we're the only country one of the only countries in the world where our poorest people are the fattest because they eat the crappiest food because expensive because vegetables are expensive yes so and that is California's problem. And even though it is hitting everyone, trust me when I say it will hit low and median income communities of color the hardest because they are the ones that have the fewest, the lowest access to healthy foods already. They are the ones who have the lowest amount of income, so they can't make adjustments to, to take care of this. And more than likely, where they live are food deserts anyway, so they cannot get things like kale and gouda cheese and, and, and good cabbage and apples that don't have lumps on them. So now they are hurt the most. And of course, when you ration the water at 25%, 25% can be very relative depending on who your elected officials are. You know, and, and isn't Nestle still allowed to bottle water, which is another thing I, it makes absolutely no sense and shows this class differentiation we have between corporations and individuals. You are absolutely right. And and that that brings us now to the bigger issue. Because this drought is happening in California and it's going to hurt everybody, it hurts low and low and median income communities of color the hardest and the most. And that has been historically how climate change has worked. When we look at something like New Orleans and Hurricane Katrina, when those levees broke and, and the city flooded, which parts of the city have recovered since then? The nice upper middle class neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't know about and the, the Lower Ninth Ward. And the French Quarter, which wasn't really flooded because it was high, little, just a higher ground. It yeah. was protected, too. Exactly. But Selena, who you volunteered in the Lower Ninth Ward, do you Twice. remember how bad it was when they had the high, like the, the tall grass? That, that's how you knew when someone had died in that spot. You, do you remember how bad it was? There are still houses that are gutted. There was a whole bunch of money that went towards revitalizing those neighborhoods, but the low, medium-income communities of color did not get those resources. Hurricane Sandy. When we had that hurricane in New York, which really surprised everyone because it was a Category 1 hurricane, which 10 years ago would have just been a little wind and a lot of water. This time, it flooded train stations. It flooded communities. Breezy Point was damn near completely on fire. And Coney Island and Breezy Point and Far Rockaway, certain parts, the poor black parts, went without power for months. 
not weeks. I mean, just months. to give you some contrast, where I'm from in the South Shore of Long Island, which is uh, lower and middle class white people um, generally, although now has become a little more diverse. There's a lot of people there that were highly affected also. So I think the New York thing, just in the way it hit us, and I agree with you that people who have less money are impacted more by natural disasters mm-hmm. always. And generally speaking, as we've discussed, mm-hmm. there's a race issue, racial aspect of class issues. Yes. But I do think that we should point out that there was, you know, a lot of low income people that were of color and not of color that were impacted by Hurricane Sandy because of where it made landfall and also that because it was it was a category one but it was also considered a superstorm because it met with another storm which made it bigger but not qualify as a larger storm in the hurricane category. Oh, I forgot to mention that. Yes, yeah, so Hurricane Sandy went on Tinder and met another storm, and right. then they became a superstorm together. Yes, Lena? Phil, you mentioned something that was really interesting. You said that 10 years, or, or I don't know if it was 10 years ago, but the Category 1 storm that hit us that we call Hurricane um, Sandy, if it would have hit us like a while ago, it wouldn't have done as much damage. Because it wouldn't Why? have been as strong. But well, Alyssa mentions a good point that it connected with another storm. But, but yes, we've had. But that connection happened, a lot of people say, in part to uh, warm water temperatures. And, and yes. those are things that are directly connected to climate change. It's like the way the same-sex marriage causes the earth to get warmer. That is the way that Hurricane <laughs> Sandy found another hurricane. Does it make sense, Selena? Right. Now they it's ha- even, no, now it doesn't make sense. But thanks, Alyssa. They were having that gay so, hurricane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, why um, am I mentioning this? Because a lot of communities, as New York saw, were comp- New York was completely unprepared for the effects of Hurricane Sandy. New Orleans plus FEMA was completely unprepared for the effects of Hurricane Katrina. And as the climate and weather continues to shift and we have people in in D.C. throwing freaking snowballs to show that climate change isn't, isn't real, we have a whole bunch of other places which are completely unprepared for the shifting weather patterns. So when a climate disaster hits, or maybe just a snowstorm that's a little bit snowier than usual hits, a lot of people are going to be hurt. But the people who hurt the most will be the poorest ones. So now, to talk about these shifting weather patterns, climate resiliency, how it affects people of color and poor people in general, and what we could be doing is a friend of mine. He is also the coolest smart guy I know. He reads books. He knows all all the big words. He has headphones. He listens to music and he's, he's also a brunch. co-worker. He does brunch. Well, I think he does brunch. I'm going to ask him about that anyway. He's and also he's from my Brooklyn. He is, he is from Brooklyn, which cool I love because I grew up over there in East New York, Brooklyn. And his name is Arash. And Arash, I always butcher your last name, so you can't be mad at me anyway. But I'm going to say it anyway and you can tell me I'm wrong and also fire me. Arash Korzad. And he is at We Act for Environmental Justice. He works with me and he's working on a climate resiliency program. Arash, let your voice be heard. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Hey. Good afternoon. Oh, yeah, it's afternoon. So, Arash, have you had brunch yet? Well, I will after I get off the air here. Nice. Uh, It's a later thing in Brooklyn. You know, we wake up late over here. (laughs) It's going to happen a little later, but it will happen. What are you guys drinking for brunch? Um, it depends on how the interview goes. You know, I I think I'm going to need something stronger after (laughs) hearing all the comments that I've heard. Uh, so probably something strong. That's all I can guarantee right now. Okay, I have a quick question for you about climate change. Is it true that if you don't use it, you lose it? Climate change, that is. If you don't use climate change, you lose climate yes. I think that's generally true about everything, right? Isn't that one of the, the rules of the universe? Yes, that is science. Well, you know, according to Florida, if you don't use the words climate change and you ban your employees from using those words, that's it just true. makes the problem go away. You know, it's like banning that's the true. word pregnancy and thinking the fetus is just going to go away. So that's true. I don't think we can take the chance. I mean, we have to, you know, we can't afford to lose climate change, even though we are losing on it now. So we have to say it as much as possible to drill it into people's heads that it's a real thing 
and that something needs to be done about it. So let's not find let's not find out the answer to that question. Let's keep talking about it to make sure we don't lose it or lose on it or whatever. All right, so Rosh, thank you very much for that. And as I think, as a city planner or an urban planner, either way, I'm probably wrong, and you will correct me. Um, how have you seen like cities and like in communities and municipalities preparing themselves to deal with these shifting weather pat- weather patterns, if at all? Well, unfortunately, a lot of places haven't been preparing themselves to the extent that needs to happen. Uh, and what I mean by that is we're not really creating the political change and the economic change and the social change that needs to happen so that everybody can be empowered to deal with the crisis in a way that, you know, keeps our communities intact. Um, it's funny hearing everything that you're saying and, and talking about the environmental impacts of climate change, but as you described with Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans, and Sandy, and with every other disaster, and with the drought in California, there aren't really environmental disasters as there are man-made disasters, right? Um, we've created climate change, so it's true. We've, we've changed nature, and it's having a huge impact on us, but what you saw in Katrina was a situation that could have been avoided if humans acted differently, right? The disaster that we saw was compounded by how humans acted. So, and, and what I mean by how humans acted is by all of the policies that were put in place that concentrated poverty in certain places, that built kind of um, quote-unquote solutions to deal with hurricanes that weren't solutions at all, that actually, you know, tried to force nature to behave a certain way, and that, you know, showed how much hubris we have as human beings to think that we can control nature instead of working with nature. You know, so all of those decisions that we saw in New Orleans that made the, the, the situation so bad there are actually being made on a much larger and worse scale in California and all throughout the country. Could you um, give us an so, example of that, Arash? You mentioned that they um, concentrated certain people and communities to deal with the hurricanes or these um, these weather issues. Could you give us an example of that? Sure. I mean, who's in, you know, you already mentioned it. You mentioned that the wealthy tourist area was in the high ground and the poor community was in the low ground. You know, you can look at places, look at communities that are in floodplains. All of these things have developed historically over time. And so over time, who's going to live on the high ground? You know, who's going to live upstream? Uh, that Those are going to be the people who don't want to deal with the pollution, who don't want to deal with the flooding, who don't want to deal with all of the damage that comes along with storms. So all of this stuff is kind of baked into how we exist as a society. And when we talk about, you know, fighting police brutality or fighting against any kind of systemic change, we're talking about systemic change. That's the key word. And the system is, is a large system that affects us in a lot of different ways one of those being where people are located. Um, and at WE Act, we've done work over the decades, uh, over the past few decades, to demonstrate how a lot of New York City's toxic infrastructure is located in West Harlem, you know, as far as Manhattan goes. In the other boroughs, it's located where poor communities are. Um, that's, not a, that's not an accident. Right. Uh, and that's only an example that we can, you know, apply to all other kinds of environmental issues. It's definitely not an example. Thank you so much for breaking that down for us, Awash. Um, You mentioned um, how this same type of bad decision-making, which is disproportionately hurting communities of color and low-income communities, is going on right now in California. Can you expand on that, please? Well, I think what's important to understand about California, and there's a really good book called Cadillac Desert that people can check out, that talks about how not just with California, but with the entire western part of the United States, there have been, you know, a series of bad decisions going back 40, 50 years that have created the crisis that we see today. 
So a lot of those areas aren't meant to be developed in the first place, right? If you can, you see all these pictures on Instagram of people hanging out in Coachella and, you know, having a great time. You can look on a map, you'll see a desert with a development that's the island of green surrounded by a desert. That's not natural. Places like Phoenix aren't natural. Places like Las Vegas aren't natural. And those are some of the places that are growing the most in this country. So those states are like X-Men. The only reason they exist is because a lot of people in the United States government who also happen to be wealthy white people, uh, because that's the way our system is structured, those are the people making decisions then, and most of the people making decisions now, decided that it was a good idea to spend billions of dollars creating infrastructure, pumping groundwater, building dams, destroying the environment, doing a lot of things in order to have this huge industry grow up in the West Coast, you know, all throughout the Western United States. Who benefits from that industry? It's not working-class people. It's not poor people. It's wealthy corporate types who have investments that require water, you know. And a lot of the communities that were damaged, I mean, you can go back throughout history, a lot of indigenous communities suffered because their water was taken away in order for these dams and other things to be developed so that industry could exist. Thank you so much for that, Arash. We do have to go on a quick break, but when we come back, we will continue this conversation, which I think is getting pretty good because Selena is sitting up and she put her phone away, so she is not playing Angry Birds I'm anymore. She is awake and I want some whiskey. Guys, we'll be right back after this quick break. This song is in honor of California's drought. She going hard, right? She loves it don't got water, but I'm thirsty. Drip, drop, drip, drip, but I'm drop. Thirsty. Drip, we turn it up drop. in here, right? No, California has plenty of water. You just have to buy it because, according to the <laughs> CEO of Nestle, you don't have a right to have water. Well, you know what? Americans have a right to have a right, but not a right to have water. So there you go, Alyssa. Right. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. And we are talking about California where their water supply is dripply drop, drop. If you ain't got the dollars to so make it rain on your faucet. And you we know, are talking. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh no! I was going to say, did, did you actually see some of the photos when they went out to measure the snowpack? And what he said was, he he held up the stick and he showed where the snowpack was. Was there was none? He was holding the stick oh. on dry grass, and then he held up this stick that went over his head by five feet. And he said, at the top of the stick is where the snowpack used to be. Oh, you know, and and the idea was, is there's six supposed to be six feet of snow that where we're standing, yet I'm standing on dry green grass, yet. We have a large, I don't want to say large, but we have a good portion of people in this country who think that either A, climate change is not happening, or B, that it's happening but that we are not causing it, that we're just going through a regular cycle. Well, and no matter what you tell these people, I feel like you can't get through to them. They just don't buy it. They think it's some liberal conspiracy. They come up with, you know, they say not all scientists believe it, even no, though 97% man. of scientists and over 15,000 peer-reviewed articles say that in some way, shape, or form, climate change is real. And we're causing it so a rush. How do we? This is a broad question, but how do we deal with these people? How I mean, and we have these people in the Senate, as we know. So it goes all the way up to the highest levels of government, which I'm sure is about who's paying these people off from the fossil fuel industry, the Koch brothers. And um, so, how do we deal with this issue, at least with respect to everyday Americans, and be like? No, this is a big deal. This is going to affect your kids, your grandkids, you know, the future of this country, the future of this planet. And, you know, we can't screw this up. It's a big deal. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question. And I think we are dealing with that already. That's the one thing that we all know in this country now. We don't have the luxury to assume that it's not happening. You know, you can look at the drought. You can look at Katrina. You can look at Sandy. We don't have the luxury to say that climate change isn't happening now. So we are already dealing with it. The question is, how can we deal with it in a way that doesn't make the situation worse for the 99 percent? 
Um, and, you know, we've tried to make political change before by reasoning with our leaders. Uh, we've played nicely with them. And I think now what people are realizing, and you saw this with the People's Climate March, you saw this at Occupy Wall Street, you're seeing this right now in Baltimore and other places, that people aren't really playing nice anymore, and they're demanding their rights, and they're taking their rights. You know, and I think we need to take our rights at this point. All right. Um, this is for them. This may be a shameless plug, but we are actually um, in the process of a very interesting um, project at WEACT um, where we're engaging community members in Harlem. Could you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that that helps to answer some of the question of, like, what we need to do as well. Yeah, I mean, a a lot of what needs to happen in order to build power is organizing at the local level. That's what WEACT has done for several decades. That's what community-based organizations do. And when you start organizing at the local level and you start talking to people and you start asking them, you know, what do you need to make your life better? What kind of world do you want to live in? What's your vision? And when you start to develop that local vision and you start to bring people to coalesce around that and to implement it, then that's when you start making change. So you have to have a local vision and you have to start implementing it. And what does that mean? It means building resources in your community. It means educating people. It means building worker cooperatives, you know. It means talking about how to manage resources. It means growing your own food. So there's a lot of solutions that can be done at the community level to secure communities. That won't prevent a Sandy coming because if they're burning coal in Kentucky, it still affects our weather, you know, our climate. So that's the problem. It has to be a global solution. But there is a lot that can be done starting with our communities so that we can at least have a plan for what we're going to do. And that's what we're doing at WEAC. So every community needs a plan. And everybody has to work together at the local level. Can you, you can't look to Washington anymore. Can you talk a little bit about that plan? Um, yeah, I mean, the plan is we're developing it right now. We have one more workshop for, for people in New York City that's happening on May 2nd in East Harlem. It's for all of northern Manhattan. Uh, we're bringing people together. We're, we're doing something called Serious Games that actually, you know, it shows people what the likely impact is on East Harlem. If another kind of Sandy event were to happen. But not just in terms of the crisis. We're talking about the big picture, you know, what's, what's the long-term vision. Um, so it is, you know, I mean, all of those things, it's really bringing people together to say, what does the community mean to you and what, how do you want to see it transform? And people are really educated about the issue. We know that, that people in the Senate might not be educated about it, but people at the community level really do know what they want their community to be because they've been in a crisis mode for decades. That's the other thing that's important to mention. The crisis is not new for working class and poor communities. The crisis has existed throughout the history of the United States. This is just one more thing. So there, a lot of people are already organized in terms of fighting back and fighting for their own power. And, and, and we have to incorporate uh, environmental issues into that fight. And that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, definitely, definitely. If you're listening and you have a question or a comment, you can call us at 212-650-6903. You can tweet us at, at her, uh, sorry, at BeHerd underscore radio. Leave a comment on Politically Preposterous. Um, when we're speaking with Arash, I don't know how to pronounce your last name. Stanley already butchered it, and I'm not going to, from <laughs> We Act from Internet, uh, We Act for Environmental Justice. And Arash, I agree with all that. I just, I mean, I guess maybe going back to my previous question, which is like, it, you know, the, 
the unconvincibles, I'll call them. Like, is there any, is there a certain group of people that we're never going to convince? And what do we do about them? Do we just ignore them and just keep pushing on regardless? Uh, or, I mean, like, or, th- like, is there some other way to deal with these people? Or is it just going to, are they, or basically, are we not going to be able to convince them until there's basically a dwindling food supply, a dwindling water supply, and everybody's running around with a gun so that they can secure themselves a banana? Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what we want to avoid. You know, we definitely want to avoid that situation because I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I don't have any guns. Um, I don't want to get into a situation where it's about who has the most guns, although other people do want that situation, right? Um, no, I think you're absolutely right in what you're pointing out, that there's a conflict. You know, there's a conflict between people that want to do something about this problem and people that don't. And the question is, how do we, how do we win that fight? You know, that is a fight. This is a battle. This is a struggle. This is a movement. And we have to bring people together to, to work together in this movement so that our strategy wins. Because we are facing these people that do have a lot of power. Um, you mentioned the Koch brothers. You can, you can talk about these, these corporations that are very cynically misleading people. So that a lot of people who don't think that there's a problem or who have their head in the sand um, aren't making money off of it, right? They're just being misled by people who are making money off there being a problem. And, and to answer your question, I don't think there is an answer to that question. How, can you convince everybody? No, you can't convince everybody. We're past that point. You can look on any issue. There are people who say that racism doesn't exist after all that's happened. You know? So I don't think you can convince everybody about it. But I don't think you need to convince everybody to do something about the problem. Um, I just think you have to get the wrong people out of power and put the right people in power, which is us. Amen to that. Um, um, so thank you so much for putting so much emphasis on the fact that we need to galvanize people on the local level in order to make changes. However, in light of the correspondence dinner and President Obama's um, just about climate change, can you talk about what progress Washington has or has not made within just the last few years of President Obama's administration? Um, I think that, well, you know, there's been a lot of progress, but unfortunately that's not saying much because before nothing was done. You know, so I think getting to the point where we can talk about it and admit that it's a problem at that level, which didn't happen under the Bush administration, is progress, right? Just even admitting that you have a problem, it's like if you have a drinking problem, which Stanley might, based on his comments, you know, admitting that you have a problem is the first step, right? So at least we're admitting that we have a problem. At least we're admitting that it's man-made, and he has done a lot. We're regulating coal power plants. That's kind of the, the, the big signature initiative of the Obama administration, because that's where a lot of carbon emissions come from. Um, so we are we are making you know progress in that respect. How does that relate to equity? Is the question, and that's where we haven't really made a lot of progress on. You know, shutting down coal power plants is one thing. Doing it in a way where we're actually empowering communities, and that. You know, if, if we don't get our energy from coal and we get our energy from solar, is that solar going to come from, you know, one company that owns all the, the solar panels in Nevada and that's where we get our energy from? Or is solar going to happen on a community basis owned by local worker cooperatives throughout cities in the country? And as a result, you know, green middle-class jobs are created for people who need them. You know, that's, that's I think, the question that we need to be asking now. We know we have a problem. We're starting to do something about it. Are we going to do something about it in a way that compounds poverty or, or solves it? You know? Those work cooperatives sound like a lot of fun. So, Arash, we are running out of time. I would just like for you to let listeners know how they can get involved with um, We Ask Climate Resiliency Program and how they can learn more about you and the things that you do slash write. 
Um, yeah, so we have our next workshop. It's coming up on May 2nd. Uh, it is in East Harlem. Um, and you can read more about it by going to Climate Brazil. So I'm going to spell the, the website out for your audience. Um, C-L-I-M-A-T-E-R-E-Z-R-E-S-I-L-WEACT.NationBuilder.com. So maybe you can tweet that out or repeat that for me. We shall. Um, but, but that's the that's the website. You can get the workshop location information there. May second, nine thirty a.m. to three p.m. Um, it's our final workshop. We'll be releasing a report in June, um, which is a, a draft climate action plan for Northern Manhattan. It's going to talk about our process. It's going to inform people who don't live in Northern Manhattan how they can do the process in their community. Um, but there's a lot of ways to get involved, and and this is just one of them. We Act has been around. We'll be working on this for many years to come. So. I encourage people to go on the WEAC website, weac.org, and learn how to get involved. Arash, right, thank you so much for that, guys. And now it is time to wrap it up because that's what time it is. We live in a world right now where elected officials can go into D.C. and throw a snowball and say this is why climate change does not exist. So the idea that we are going to be prepared when the climate begins to shift even more is one that does not make me very comfortable because I don't see it as a reality. In California, they had to ration the water by 25%. If this continues, we may see a scenario in which, pardon me, the prices of food go up. And when things like this begin to happen, they almost always hit the poorest and most vulnerable people first. If we want to live in a world in which we really do believe in these values that we say America is built off of, we have to stop playing this game in which we deny basic things facts and we start doing things to prepare us for what is coming next because if we don't do that we're in trouble and while we're doing it if we do it in a way that caters to huge corporations and the one percent then everyone will suffer for it a real plan a sustainable plan a strong plan is one made for the people by the people and stands up for the people and if we do that we will have climate resilient neighborhoods communities families and america but if we don't well You can just watch Left Behind. You'll see what happens. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. We'll be right back after this quick break. This is Juicy J and Kitty Perry because I love this song.